It sounds like you all are awake. I'm glad you're here this morning. Hey, we can't do this for everybody, but Kim and I's little boy is turning 18. He's growing up today. Today is his 18th birthday. Would you, yeah, would you help me sing happy birthday to him? Come on, sing it, sing it with me. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Garrett. Happy birthday to you. He asked me to not. <laughs> He's 18 today. It seems like yesterday he was, you know, just a, you know, whatever, a little toddler or baby even. And oh, wow, it goes fast, moms and dads. Make sure you enjoy the time that you have with your children. Hey, today, as we begin a new series, I want to remind you our theme for the year in 2019 has been better together. Better together. We are better together. King Solomon actually once said, if a man or if one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Right? I mean, we all need friends. We all want friends. Most of us need and want more friends, right? Who else, who in here would like to have more friends, better friends, you know, healthier relationships? We all are in that boat. So as we begin a new series, I want to look at some friendships, unlikely friendships, maybe famous friendships in the Bible, and see what God can teach us through these stories that we will read in Scripture together. And today I want to begin with Ruth and Naomi, who were unlikely friends. And if you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn to the book of Ruth it's the eighth book in the Bible. Uh, you might find a Bible there in the seat in front of you if you have one, or you can follow along on the screen. But if you're looking for it, it's an easy one to miss. There are only four short chapters, and, uh, but it's the eighth book after Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, and then you've got uh, just simply Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. And this story reveals that God is not just a God of awesome power that we've seen in the first seven books of Scripture, but He's also a God who cares about ordinary people, that deal with ordinary stuff, live ordinary lives, and all of that. And yet, through some of the ordinary, most ordinary people, He can do extraordinary, incredible things. And that's what we're going to see here today. You know, as you study the friendship of Ruth and Naomi, I hope we'll all learn some lessons of how to be better together, how to have healthier relationships, but I also hope we'll see that God can do incredible things. You'll see the, the amazing end of the story in a little bit. Again, it's just four chapters. It begins like this. If you have your Bible, you can follow along or again on the screen. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. Okay, so Naomi and her husband Elimelech made a big decision to move 100 miles away because of this famine. Now, 100 miles doesn't sound like a big deal to you and I, but in that day, a hundred miles to even travel, let alone to move, was a very big deal. But sometimes big situations or rough situations demand um, big decisions. Now, but it was especially surprising that they moved to Moab 
Because the Moabites had frequently been enemies of God. Well, they weren't there very long when tragedy struck. Elimelech died, and Naomi, of course, was grief-stricken. But her sons were already deeply involved in the culture, so she decided to stay um, longer. Verse 4 says this, they married, in fact, her sons, they married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. Does anybody like useless trivia? A piece of useless trivia that has nothing to do with anything, really. You've all heard of Oprah. We know who that person is. Her mother, as I understand it, actually wanted to name her after this person, Orpah, and just misspelled it. So that's how Oprah got her name. There you go, useless trivia. But, um, but anyway, here we read about Orpah and Ruth. And then, in addition to Elimelech dying, something else even more tragic happened. And that is that both of Naomi's young sons died. And we don't know why. The Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe there was an accident. Maybe some famine. Again, we don't know or a plague. But, but uh, in a short period of time, she lost her husband and now both of her sons. You know, grief isn't always distributed equally, is it? The Bible tells us the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. But sometimes it seems like it's a little bit disproportionate. Some people seem to go through life with almost nothing bad happening to them. At least it looks that way from some of our perspectives. Whereas it looks like others experience catastrophe after catastrophe. Well, Naomi had to swallow a terrible and bitter pill, losing her husband and then both of her sons. So she decided to move back to Bethlehem, her her home country, hoping to start over and recover. Now, the Bible had commanded the Jewish people not to intermarry with the people of surrounding nations. God had been clear about that. So, I don't know this, but I would guess maybe Naomi thought, oh, my sons both died, my husband died. Maybe this is God's way of punishing us. Maybe she thought that. We don't know. But Naomi's two son, or daughters-in-law, these two Moabite ladies, Ruth and Orpah, were all that she had left. This is it. That's all she had. And they had a beautiful relationship, and they basically said, look, Mom, as they would have seen her in such a close way, they said, we're coming with you. And so the three of them headed out of town, but Naomi had second thoughts, and the Bible tells us that she said, return home, my daughters. She used a Hebrew um, word for daughter as opposed to daughter-in-law because they had such a close and tight relationship. But verse 11 says, "Why why would you come with me, she told him. Am I going to have more sons, than, you know, who could become your husbands? You know, probably not. She went on to explain, look, you'll be foreigners in this land, but you're both still young. You're beautiful. You know, you've got so much ahead of you. Why don't you stay here with your people and start over there? And I'll go back and hope to kind of restart things there for me as well. But you need to go home. Well, the Bible tells us that Orpah wept, that she loved her mother-in-law, but did agree and and went back to Moab. She kissed her beloved mother-in-law goodbye and went back home, and the Bible never mentions her again. But Ruth refused. She embraced Naomi as her mother-in-law, whom she loved so much, and basically said, no, I'm not going to leave you. Naomi said to her, look, your sister-in-law is going back home to live with her own people and her gods. Go with her, verse 15 records. Now, what comes next is a famous passage of Scripture. In fact, would you just read it out loud with me? This is Ruth's response in chapter 1, verse 16. But Ruth replied, this is replied to Naomi. Here we go. Read it with me. Don't urge me to leave you 
Where am I at here? Okay, sorry, I got to look at where I'm at. Okay, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Now, many of you are familiar with that scripture. It's often read at weddings as a prayer, maybe between a husband and a wife, which is beautiful. I mean, it's an incredible promise and, and scripture to read in that way. But actually, it's not a pledge. It has nothing to do with husbands and wives. It was a promise between mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. You know, when you think about it, this is a pretty unlikely re- friendship or relationship, isn't it? I mean, think about the differences between these two women. I mean, they were from different nationalities, probably different dialects, obviously different ages. They, they initially at least worshipped different gods. But maybe the biggest barrier of all was the fact that they were in-laws. It's a pretty big deal, right? It's not often that a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law are close friends. Uh, so how many? No, I'm not even going to ask that. Never mind. They, you know, oftentimes a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law struggle a little bit because they're kind of to some degree in a way competing over the affection of the same man, you know. In fact, let me ask you, is anyone in here a guest of their in-laws today? No, not anyone. Did anybody invite their in-laws to church with them today? Have any of you ever even talked to your in-laws? Anybody? (laughs) All right. There we go. So you see what I'm talking about. Well, here's the first lesson I'd like us to all learn from this story together today as we focus on how to be better together. If you can fill in the blank if you want, but here it is. Number one is this, great friendships. Great friendships can develop even between people with great differences. Now, I grew up in Kansas, a small town similar to Woodland Park in many respects, well, other than the mountains and all the beautiful things of Colorado, but In some ways, it was similar in that it was a small town of just a few thousand people, uh, one high school town like here, um, and also similar to Woodland Park, a mostly, predominantly white town. I didn't have any black friends or Latino friends or Asian friends, not because I was prejudiced, but because I'd never met any. We didn't have any people of color or different backgrounds, really, hardly any in our town, not in my high school anyway. I praise God that things are not that way anymore. I today am proud and thankful to the Lord to be able to say that I have black friends, Hispanic friends, and and Asian friends, and uh, European friends, uh, even an Iranian friend. Some of you met him when he was here to speak. And I thank God that God has helped me learn that great friendships can develop between people with great differences or different backgrounds. So I thought about this, you know, what brought Ruth and Naomi together? Think about their differences. I mean, it wasn't just that they were the same gender or that they, you know, had been related through this marriage, you know, but, but they had experienced mutual grief, and I think that was the key. Sometimes adversity brings people very, very close. Soldiers who have gone through difficult things, seen horrific things, been part of terrible things, sometimes bond in a way that others cannot even really fully understand. Heard all kinds of stories like that. Maybe you have too. Sometimes even a husband and wife who go through really difficult things can, it can sometimes divide them or they can allow it to do that, but other times it can bring them extra close. 
Even a ball club, you know, a bunch of guys or ladies on a team that do certain things or accomplish something together in a really tough environment or season can be bonded together. And Ruth and Naomi had grieved together, and so their friendship was so deep that Ruth said, I'm moving to Bethlehem with you. Like it or not, I'm coming with you. Nothing will separate us. It's a beautiful thought and gesture. Well, the story unfolds from there in a beautiful fashion. And I wish I had time to just read it all for you. It's four chapters. It wouldn't take super long, but it would take longer than I have time to do. So I encourage you to go back and read it yourself, maybe this afternoon or this week. But let me kind of paraphrase a little bit and summarize some of what happens next. You know, most scholars estimate the population of Bethlehem at this time was probably, literally, only about 200 people. I mean, that made, makes, uh, you know, divide seem like a great big city. And uh, just a tiny little place. And so when they arrived back there, the town began to buzz. People were like, hey, isn't that, isn't that Naomi? Remember Naomi? Yeah. You know, she looks a little weathered, doesn't she? Kind of old. Like time has not been kind to her. Well, the Bible basically records that Naomi kind of responded with, yeah, that's me. I am Naomi. You remember correctly, but don't call me Naomi anymore. See, the name Naomi meant pleasant one. She said, now I want you to call me bitter. See, God has dealt me some hard blows. I left here full of life and hope and with family, and I come back with none of that. No husband, no kids, nothing but a daughter-in-law, and the clothes on my back. She was no longer pleasant and didn't want to be called that. She wanted to be called bitter. You know, there's another reason that it's surprising that these two became so close. You know, most of us want friends who make us laugh and smile, friends who can lift our spirits, right? That's kind of typical. That's what we look for in others, friends who are fun to be around. But Naomi probably wasn't really any of the above. She was probably what one author I read uh, one time described, he used an acronym, he said, some people are just VDPs, which he defined as very draining people. I've been there. I've been around others. I've been that person as well. And that's probably who Naomi was in many respects. And yet Ruth, as her daughter-in-law, looked beyond that. She was a special young lady she was a widow herself. She needed encouragement as much as anybody else. She was grieving. Her husband had just died. And yet she stood by her mother-in-law and loved her in an incredibly beautiful way. It is a special friend who will stand by you when you are depressed, especially when you're depressed for a prolonged period of time, isn't it? Well, shortly after they settled in Bethlehem, the Bible teaches us that Ruth announced to her mother-in-law, I'm going to go get a job. I mean, we need to eat. And, you know, there is no social security or anything like that or food stamps. And so I'm going to go and try and find something. But as a foreigner, even though she was ambitious, she didn't have much to offer. She didn't have any marketable skills. So what she did was really all she could do, which was to go and glean in a field following in the wake of the harvesters. So the Old Testament had commanded Jewish people that when they harvested grain... And, you know, naturally went through it. There would be pieces that they would miss, elements here and there. And the teaching was to leave that rather than go back a second time and get, the, get what you missed the first time. No, leave it for the sake of the poor and uh, the uh, homeless and that kind of thing. So Ruth joined some other 
poor and homeless, uh, unemployed people and walked behind the harvesters picking up the leftover grain, putting it in her bag. It would be kind of similar to going through other people's trash today, you know, looking for something maybe to eat or at least something you could find and use or maybe even turn around and sell for a buck here or there. Well, Ruth just happened to be picking grain in a field belonging to a man named Boaz, who was kind and who just happened to be a relative of her deceased father-in-law, Elimelech. The name Boaz actually means man of strength, man of standing. Now, some people would suggest with this that, wow, that's really a cool coincidence. You know, what a lucky break for Ruth and Naomi that they happened to be found in that field. But I would call it more of a divine appointment or a God incident rather than a coincident. I don't believe that God manipulates every single thing that happens in life and, you know, always makes every single thing happen the way it does. But the Bible does tell us that if we trust in the Lord with all of our heart, He will direct our paths. And I think maybe, probably, here, God directed her path to be uh, to go and, and, and be in Boaz's field at that time. And it makes me wonder how many times the Almighty God has gone before us in our paths and directed our steps even when we didn't realize it. Oh, if we would only just listen and follow and hear His prompting all the time, wouldn't that be amazing? You know, maybe when you met your mate, Kind of like when I met Kim, it wasn't a coincidence, it was a God incident. It wasn't a, a um, you know, accident, it was intentional, it was providential. Maybe when you weren't looking for a job and you bumped into somebody, maybe that was the Lord bringing you together with that person to change the course of your life. You know, maybe you're here today in church, maybe as a visitor, maybe as somebody who comes regularly, but either way, maybe it's God who, who prompted you today to make sure that you were here because He wants to change your life, maybe change the way you do friendship, or more importantly, change the course of your life in general. Well, Boaz noticed this young woman working in his field. Now, maybe he noticed her because she was a stranger and he hadn't seen her before, maybe. Or maybe he noticed her because she was such a hard worker. She stood out above others, maybe. But I suspect the reason he noticed her is the same reason most men notice women, and that is that she was attractive. He saw a beautiful woman, and he noticed her. You know, the first time I met Kim, uh, I actually was having dinner with her entire family, sitting around what is now our living room table, or or dining room table, I mean. And uh, I just met her along with her dad and mom and siblings and And uh, she had just graduated college, magna cum laude, and she was on her way to go be a missionary in China. And and, um, so I thought to myself, wow, this young lady is of keen mind and of keen spirit in the sense that she cares about the needs of others. I think I shall ask her on a date. You know, something, okay, maybe not exactly like that. No, nothing like that. Actually, that was icing on the cake. That was great. It should have been first in my mind. I mean, I was a full-time pastor, and I'd been praying, Lord, please, if it be your will, would you let me meet the right young lady? And yet the first thing that made me think, I want to ask her on a date, was I thought, she's really cute. She's single. She's cute. Oh, by the way, she's smart and cares about other people. That's nice, too. But anyway, so maybe that's why I'm a little suspicious of Boaz's motives, Um We don't know for sure, but let's pick up his story. If you have your Bible, look at chapter 2. 
Chapter 2, verse 8 tells us, So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, he called her that because she was younger than him, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Well, as you read Scripture, you see that she fell to her knees and basically said to Boaz, Why are you treating me so kindly? I'm just a foreigner. I'm nothing to you. Why are you so nice to me? And Boaz went on to say, Well, I've heard about how kind you have been to Naomi, who happens to be a relative, a distant relative of mine, which impressed Ruth. And in turn, she then said, oh, well, sir, such grace and kindness, you know, I don't deserve it. Neither of us do. But you've touched my heart and treated me like one of your own. And even though I don't even belong here. So this, this, this thing is starting to develop between them. And verse 14 reads this. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here. Have some bread and dip it in the wine. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. And as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, put out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. So you can see he's already starting to fall for her as he's starting to provide and, you know, kind of pave a way for her. Well, that night she goes home with this big doggy bag, I guess you could say, of grain and excitedly reports to her mother-in-law everything that's happened. Hey, Naomi, guess what? Well, Naomi's wise. She's been around the block of a time or two, and she recognizes what's going on here. And you know what? She could have felt threatened at this point. I mean, the truth is, she would know this, that if Ruth got involved with another man, her focus would be there. And Naomi, as much as she has been loved by her daughter-in-law, might start to be forgotten, might be even pushed to the side a little bit. But here's a second lesson we can learn from this story about friendship that we should all heed and recognize, and that is this. True friends give each other space. You know, real friends aren't leeches, Demanding all your attention. True friends rejoice when good things happen to you. Even if they aren't at the center of it. And don't necessarily directly benefit from it. Some friends get jealous if you all of a sudden have a new friend. Maybe you invite these people to lunch. And your good friend recognizes or learns you didn't invite them too. And they get jealous about that. Well truly good godly friends aren't like that. Naomi was not like that. Verse 22 says, Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So she encouraged this, even though it might lead to something that would would not necessarily benefit Naomi. Well, in the next moment, chapter 3 begins and we see Naomi playing Cupid for Ruth and Boaz. Uh, Here it is, verse 1 of chapter 3. One day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? See, Naomi decides that she needs to give a boost to this relationship. She knows that Boaz is a single middle-aged man, so obviously he needs help. She knows that her daughter-in-law... She just knows that. Her daughter-in-law is naive and young and doesn't know a whole lot yet. So she feels like she needs to step in and help both of them. 
And what impresses me also in this moment is that Naomi thinks Boaz is a good match. Again, she loves this daughter-in-law like her own daughter. And most of us know that it's pretty hard or rare to find anybody that we think is good enough for our child or those that we love dearly. I mean, they can never measure up, right? I heard last week about a group of women who saw an ad from a five-story department store that said they had husbands for sale inside. Well, the ladies said, okay, hey, let's go check this out. And so they went in, and on the first floor, they saw a sign that said, available men with good-paying jobs inside. I said, wow, sounds great. Let's go, uh, let's go see what's on the second floor. So up they went, found a sign again on the second floor that said, available good-looking men with good-paying jobs inside. Hey, sounds good, but rather than go in and look around, they said, uh, I think maybe we should go check out what's on the third floor. So up they went, and they found another sign, and this one said, available, good-looking men who love children with good-paying jobs inside. Wow, that's amazing, they were all saying to each other, and yet one of them still turned and said, yeah, but I think we got to go see what's on the fourth floor, too. Okay, so they, up they go. They're starting to get a little tired and winded, but they go up to the fourth floor and they, they find another sign that says, available, good-looking men who love children and enjoy housework with good-paying jobs inside. <laughs> wow, absolutely incredible. What more could we want? And yet they said, you know, we got to see what's on the fifth floor, don't we? So up they went, and they're just tired and, you know, breathing hard as they get to the fifth floor, and there's another sign. But this sign said, there are no husbands available on this floor, but this proves you can never please a woman. <laughs> there you go. So, so, <laughs> all right. Notice the men are clapping. <laughs> no. oh. But Naomi was... <laughs> uh, I'll probably pay for that later, but anyway... Naomi was helping select a husband for Ruth, and unlike some, she was pleased and satisfied with what she saw in the suitor, you know, in Boaz. She thought, he may not be perfect, but he's perfect in this situation for my daughter-in-law. So Naomi then gives Ruth some sound counsel on how to get Boaz to take the next step. Listen to her advice in verse 3 of chapter 3. And note, this was the night of Boaz's barley harvest on the threshing floor. She said, wash and perfume yourself. Um, she's speaking to Ruth, and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Now, some people are like, whoa, what in the world? I thought this was a Bible story. It's a little risque. What's going on here? Actually, it's nothing at all uh, like you might think. It's just our culture and their culture were very different. You see, actually, all Ruth is simply doing is proposing marriage. There was nothing immoral, nothing sexual at all about what's happening here. Naomi's instructions and Ruth's actions only seem forward because they are just unusual to us. But they would not have been uncommon then. Uh, in fact, in Ruth chapter 3, verse 11, Boaz says, All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. All right, well, see, the Bible had instructed that if a husband died and left no children, then the husband's brother or closest relative was to marry her and to have children by her so that the, so that the brother's name could be carried on. So the next of kin would be called the kinsman redeemer. 
Now, a kinsman redeemer was also responsible for buying back any family member or any property that might have been sold. So Naomi's advice to Ruth is not to invite some kind of intimate relationship. That was not the point. It was to invite him to be her kinsman redeemer, to be, uh, to, to be her husband. And Ruth told Naomi, I will do whatever you, ta- whatever you say, whatever you suggest. And when she followed through, she was proposing marriage to Boaz. And here's a third lesson. Write it down. Good friends value the counsel and respect the advice that is given, in particular by other good friends, by godly good friends in particular. Sometimes when you have an important decision to make and you don't know what to do, your friends can see things objectively and give you perspective that can be invaluable. Now, we shouldn't do everything a friend suggests every time. I mean, you can get bad advice. We've all probably been given that at times. You need to learn to think for yourself. I mean, remember earlier, Ruth actually said no to Naomi's suggestion of going back to Moab. But in this case, she listened closely. You know, wise people not only listen in that moment, but especially to the counsel of those who love them and want to say what, what uh, is, would be helpful for them, even if it's not what they want to hear. Reminds me of what God tells us in Proverbs 27 when he said, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You know, beyond all this, wise people can especially, should especially pay attention when several close friends are giving the same counsel. I mean, if your close friends are are godly people and they're saying things like, Hey, I know you think you're in love, but he or she's not the right one. Maybe you need to listen. Or, hey, don't get involved with that guy in business. You know, I can, I'm just telling you, I, I know that that's going to be a bad move. Or, or something like, give it time. Apologize and go back. Forgive him and don't bring it up again. Let it go. When godly good friends tell you such things, you need to be wise enough to listen. To not ignore them, but to listen to them, even if it's not what you wanted to hear. Proverbs also tells us in chapter 15, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Praise God for good friends, for godly friends, and we need to listen. So Ruth did exactly what Naomi had advised. Boaz celebrated the harvest, had a good time, then he laid down at the end of the stack of barley. Ruth then quietly lay down near him to signal her availability for marriage. And verse 8 of chapter 3 says, in the middle of the night, something startled the man. And he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. Boaz is delighted that Ruth is interested in him as an older man. Maybe one of the reasons he had been hesitant before was that he didn't think she'd be interested in him because of his age. But he, in this moment, responded in an incredible way. He basically said, I'd love to marry you. Everyone in town knows how incredible you are. Um, But there is this one little catch, and that is this. You see, I am a relative, but there is a closer relative, um, probably somebody she had not yet met, And he went on to explain, and by our Jewish custom, this other person has first right to marry you. So, first thing in the morning, I will go and see if he wants to be the kinsman redeemer. If so, then God bless you. But if if not, 
then as surely as there is a God in heaven, I would love to marry you. Ruth chapter 3 verse 14 continues, So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized, and he said, Don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor, not to hide anything necessarily. It's actually a romantic comment in that he's trying to protect her from gossips or people that would, you know, busybodies who would want to talk about false accusations or whatever. He's already protecting her. Verse 16, when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? You know, tell me what happened. And then she told her everything Boaz had done for her. Verse 18 says, then Naomi, Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Again, she's been around the block. She recognizes when a man is hooked and she knows what's happening here. She's like, just be patient. Wait and see. You'll see how this plays out. So Boaz headed straight for the public square and waited for his relative, maybe a distant relative. And when he arrived, Boaz is really clever in his approach. I mean, rather than burning blunt... Rather than blurting out something silly like, uh, you know, hey, you lucky dog. I mean, there's this gorgeous woman over here who's single and you get to marry. Now, if you screw that up and don't want to, then I'll step in. But it's your option. He doesn't say anything like that. No, instead what he does is he's like, hey, uh, young man, remember Elimelech, our relative who died out of town? Well, his widow Naomi is back in town and she's selling a piece of property that belonged to him. I'd like to buy it myself, but you're next in line, so you get to if you want. And uh, so it's up to you. What, what do you want to do? And the relative said, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm there. I'll do that. But then Boaz said, well, hang on. There is one extra thing I forgot to tell you, and that is um, when you buy the field from Naomi, it's kind of a package deal. You see, you also, therefore, will have to buy Naomi's or redeem Naomi's uh, 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 daughter-in-law, uh, the one who married her son, whose husband died. And so you'll have to marry her as well. Now, her name is Ruth. She's a Moabite, a foreigner. And on top of that, she's totally destitute and poor. And it will, of course, be your job to, to uh, have children with her and then provide for them as well. So this could be kind of a costly thing. But hey, uh, God bless you. I hope it all works out well and all that. And plus, you know, she's a hard worker and she has a great personality, you know. Yeah. All right, so the Bible doesn't say that, but you th I think he probably said something like that, probably. And all we know is this guy responded, verse 6 of chapter 4, this, the kinsman redeemer said, I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself, Boaz. I, I cannot do it. And Boaz said, well, okay, all right, fine. If you don't want to, I guess I will. And verse 7 of chapter 4 reports, that in those days, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. Boaz, at that point, couldn't get his shoe off quick enough. He was like, he went and settled the whole thing, and, and uh, the rest of the book reads like a fairy tale. Let me just finish it quickly. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her. That doesn't just mean a visit. But he went to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. You know, Psalm chapter 30 says, Weeping may remain for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Ruth had wept. She had gone through a lot of difficulty and yet now she is rejoicing. She is, has a loving husband, a healthy child, daily security, and God's blessing. And nobody, look at this, nobody was happier for her 
than her mother-in-law, Naomi. Verse 14, the women, the other women of the area said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. So here's the final lesson. Good friends rejoice when friends rejoice. Naomi, think about it. Naomi had wept with Ruth in her grief and now she is rejoicing with her in her celebration. One of the indicators of true godly friendship is this. Can you rejoice with others when they rejoice? Even if it's not in your best interest personally. I mean, if your friend strikes it rich and you're still poor, can you rejoice? If your friend gets married while you stay single. Or your friend has a child and yet, you know, that's brilliant and all of that. And yet your child has special needs or or maybe your friend gets a big promotion and you're stuck with the job you've wanted out of for so long. It's moments like that that you see, are you a true friend? Because good friends rejoice with their friends when they rejoice. Naomi rejoiced with Ruth's marriage and children. And even though she was widowed and childless and had a lot to be bitter about, she still rejoiced with her daughter-in-law. And God blessed her for it. Look at the end of the story. It's like a fairy tale. Verse 16, then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The women, women living there said, Naomi has a son, technically a grandson, but they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Think about it. Ruth became the great-grandfather of King David, whose lineage eventually led to Jesus himself. This whole story is an incredible illustration of God's amazing grace. Let me ask you as we close, do you know where, and boy, it is weird to not have a shoe on. I got to fix that. Do you know, do you know where Moab or where Naomi, I mean, where Ruth came from? The story behind the story? Genesis chapter 19 reports that when Lot fled Sodom and Gomorrah, his two daughters got their dad drunk. They slept with him. They became pregnant by their own dad. I mean, terrible story. Uh, And yet... One son of that incestuous relationship was named Moab. And from that horrible beginning, these enemies of God's people became Ruth's people and Ruth's ancestry. And King David and eventually Jesus himself came from this line. Isn't that incredible? You know what that tells me? It tells me that no matter who you are, what, what color your skin is, or what your background is, or what mistakes you've made, God invites you also to be part of His kingdom. He wants to be your and my kinsman redeemer. In that, even though we have struggled, even though we have been a foreigner, a stranger to Him, that we bring nothing to the table, that we are penniless and poor and destitute without Him, He chooses to be our kinsman redeemer. Isn't that beautiful? He paid for it, not with money, but with his own blood. And he stands at the door and knocks for us today. Maybe you've learned something today about friendship. I hope so. Maybe God will help you go home and, and treat others differently, love others differently, meet somebody new and start a new healthy friendship in a beautiful way. But maybe even better than all of that, God is wanting to prompt you this morning to understand that He loves you more than you can comprehend. And He wants, as your kinsman redeemer, 
to develop something beautiful between himself and yourself. Would you stand with me? We're going to close by singing together. As we do, I want to invite you to come. If you want to accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord, why not do it today? If you feel him prompting you, why not answer his call today? If he's prompting you to ask for forgiveness, maybe you need to just kneel where you're at or kneel on the steps or pray with somebody and say, God, would you help me to follow you completely and fully and with all my heart, trust in you with all my heart so that you will direct my paths. Let's sing it together. Let's worship him together this morning. And if you feel him nudging you, would you come?